Well, first off, uh, I just want to express my sincere uh, gratitude. Uh, so this past Tuesday is my one-year anniversary here at Bay City Fellowship, so thank you all. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I, who's over here on my left, uh, we love you all, and we're so grateful to be able to uh, be a part of what God is doing here at Bice City Fellowship. And I'll just encourage y'all with this. God has some great things ahead and in store for Bice City Fellowship. Y'all believe that? So thank you all for this past year. Well, um, I don't know if there's anyone in here that struggles with this. Um, does anyone in here eat regularly uh, Kohan sandwiches? Anybody have Kohan sandwiches regularly? Anybody eat, have like Nike sandwiches regularly? Anybody in here? What I'm saying is, does anyone in here struggle with putting their foot in their mouth sometime? Anybody in here? <laughs> like me? Now, for some of you in here, like you, you have mastered social graces. You are everyone's best friend. You always have the appropriate thing to say at the appropriate time. But for the rest of us, we tend to snack on and enjoy Kohan sandwiches every now and then, and Nike and Converse sandwiches because we tend to put our foot in our mouths at times. And maybe uh, some of you are like me, maybe you wrestle with like uh, ADD kind of stuff, your mind's always swirling and you have that attention thing. Others may wrestle with anxiety like I do. And maybe you just are at awkward at times and you just tend to put your foot in your mouth. And I had a moment like that many years ago. I was teaching at a conference, a pastor's conference. I just finished teaching my class and we're getting ready for the evening worship gathering in the ballroom. So. There were about a 1,000 Christian leaders and pastors from around the U.S. We're all waiting to enter into this ballroom to have the evening worship time. And I'm there with my good friend, Stuart Perriman, who pastors in San Antonio. And we meet my friend, Vince. So Vince and I are there, and Stuart's there. And then as I'm sitting there talking to them, introducing Stuart to Vince and Vince to Stuart, I realize this, that they're both within probably two or three years of the same age, and they both grew up in the same city. So uh, Vince grew up in South San Antonio and Stuart grew up in Southeast San Antonio. So probably like neighboring uh, uh, communities or neighboring neighborhoods. And so I began thinking as they're like talking and getting to know each other, I began like swirling my mind thinking they probably know each other. They probably have mutual friends. And so like, I'm like, oh, you know, I know what high school Stuart went to, but I don't know what high school Vince went to. So I said, I need to ask Vince what high school he went to. Before I could ask that question, Stuart says to Vince, hey, Vince, you look a little bit down. Like, what's going on? Are you okay? And Vince said this. He said, I'm not doing well. He said, my dad had a massive heart attack a few days ago, and he's in the hospital. He's stable now, but he just said, it's just really rocking my world. My dad means the world to me. He's like this big spiritual influence in my life. He taught me how to be a man. He's just been such a huge, I just love my dad. And so then he begins to cry. He's shedding tears. The whole time I'm trying to listen, but I'm also thinking, yeah, I wonder what high school Vince went to. And I wonder like, you know, if they know each other. And I'm, my mind is swirling all these thoughts. And so then it was like, if you've ever done double dutch or jump roping, you're trying to find that moment to like jump in the conversation, right? That awkward pause when that pause is there to jump in the conversation. So all of a sudden Vince is crying. He's sharing about his dad being in the hospital and how it's just really rocked his world. And he really has a hard time focusing on the conference because of that. Then he stops talking. And I'm like, here's my moment. I said, hey, Vince, what high school did you go to? <laughs> and I wish I had a camera to take a picture of Vince's expression. It was like one of those, I've just poured my heart out about my dad having a heart attack, and you're going to ask me what high school I went to? Like, where's the connection? But here's the thing. Stuart's a good friend of mine. He's an accountability partner. He came in and saved the day. 
Before Vince could even answer that question, before I tried to even fix it and put my foot, my other foot in my mouth, Stuart said this. He said, Icky, let's pray for Vince. Vince really needs God at this time. And so I remember we laid hands on, on Vince and we prayed together. We went to the evening worship service, had an incredible time. We went back up to our hotel room. And then Stuart and I get back to the room and Stuart goes, what were you thinking? <laughs> right? And I'm like, I know, bro, I know. Like my mind is swirling all these thoughts and stuff and I didn't know what to say. It's awkward. And he's like, and he's like okay, okay. And I said, Stuart, thank you for saving me. Thank you. Thank you for like just coming in and fixing it. He said, hey, no problem. But here's the thing uh, about Stuart. So Stuart's a good friend and to this day, he still jokes with me. Anytime I get a little bit big headed, he always goes, hey, what high school did you go to? I'm like, okay, okay, bro. <laughs> But Stuart has given me a second chance. Even though I may have blown it that day at that conference many years ago, he's given me a second chance. He's asked me numerous times to come preach at the church he pastors in San Antonio. Uh, about two or three years ago, my wife and I, we taught at their marriage and family conference. So he's given me chance after chance after chance. And the reason why is this, and you all know this, is because God has given Stuart a second chance, a third chance, and a fourth chance. Amen? And if you're honest with yourself, you know God has given you a second, third, fourth, and fifth chance. Probably like, like me, you've probably run out of the numbers. Like, how often does God give me a chance again? So this is what we're going to look at today, is you know that we all blow it. God warns us, God speaks to us, and we blow it. But God being a good God and a gracious God will give us often a second chance. So here's the question. What do you do when God gives you a second chance? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And we'll discover what to do when God gives us a second chance. We're in this series called Kings and Prophets. The king we're going to look at today is Rehoboam. And the prophet we're looking at today is Shemaiah, is the name of the prophet. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings 12. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, because all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard about this, he was living in Egypt, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent word and summoned him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard, but now lighten the hard labor imposed by your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Verse 5. Then he said to them, Rehoboam said to the people, and to Jeroboam, depart for three days and return to me. So the people departed. So this is the scenario. We looked at uh, chapter 10 and 11 last week. We're looking at verse 12, uh, chapter 12 this week. If you remember when King Solomon was ruling and reigning because he had forgotten about what God had done, when God warned him, he didn't heed the warning. So God says, you know what? I'm gonna split your kingdom, but not you, but for your son. And this is what happens. There's a guy named Jeroboam who's a general in Solomon's army. And almost like the pages of the headlines in our world today, Jeroboam tried to stage a coup and overthrow Solomon's reign. So what happened? Solomon went after him. He fled to Egypt. But now Solomon has died. And so what happens? Jeroboam says, oh, I can come back now. He now represents the people. And the people now are ready to coronate Rehoboam is king. Now, here's the unusual thing about biblical history. Normally, the coronation occurs in Jerusalem. But here, the text says that they uh, called him to come to Shechem. And the question is, why is that? Is because Shechem is one of the cities in the north. And so in order to try to unite the whole kingdom of Israel, all 12 tribes, many scholars believe that's why they've invited him to this very historical city named Shechem. 
To put it in modern day terms that maybe we would understand, it would be like the inauguration. Normally occurs in what city? Washington, D.C. But let's say because of some special occasion, they say this year we're going to have the inauguration in New York City. We're going to move it up north because it's a very historical city, a city of economic commerce and power and influence. That's what's going on here. And so Jeroboam comes back from Egypt and on behalf of the people, he says, man, your dad made our labor hard. He made us work hard. He taxed us a lot. So then he says, what are you going to do when you lead and rule us? What are you going to do in terms of your leadership? And so Rehoboam says, give me three days. Give me three days. And this is what happens in verses 6 through, uh, I think, 14, uh, 6 through 11. This is what happens. And we're not going to read the text. But in verses 6 through 11, first, Rehoboam goes to his dad, King Solomon's wise counselors. And he says, here's the issue at hand. He says, they've asked me, what am I going to do when it comes to ruling God's people? What am I supposed to do? And the wise counselors say, ease up the labor. Your dad was like pushing them too hard, taxing them too hard. Ease up on labor and you serve them. You help them. You benefit them. And this is what you're going to find. If you do that, they'll be committed to you and serve you. They'll serve you. If you serve them, they'll serve you. A principle of, again, servant leadership. They're basically saying, be a servant leader. But then he says, okay. And then he goes to his now foolish friends, his friends that are his age. And he says, hey, fellas, hey, boys, what do you think I should do? And they said, this is your moment, man. Profit off this. Gain something for yourself off this. So they say, he say, uh, he, they say to him, make their work even harder. Tax them even more. Benefit yourself even more. That's the advice that he gives them. And then here's the word I forgot to mention in verse 2. Now, when Jeremiah, the son of Nebat, heard, so you can underline that word heard, it's a Hebrew word, shema, from which we get Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the shema means to hear or to listen. And that's a word that's going to get repeated over and over and over again in this chapter. So he says this in verse 12, then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, just as the king had directed saying, return to me on the third day. And the king answered the people harshly for he ignored the advice of the elders, which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions an even harsher form of, of discipline. Verse 15. So the king, there's that word, did not listen, did not listen, shema. He did not shema the people because it was a turn events from the Lord in order to establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahijah, the Shonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So here's this very unique theological tension that we see. So it says here that clearly out of his own volition and choice that Rehoboam chose not to listen to the wise counsel. Instead, he listened to the foolish counsel of his friends. But it says God allowed this because this was ordained by God. But here's the, the principle here. In verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king had not Shema, listened to them, the people replied to the king saying, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel went away to their tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had broken with the house of David to this day. Verse 20. 
So it came about when all Israel, Shema, listened, heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they uh, sent word and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None except the tribe of Judah alone followed the house of David. So this is what happens. He says, because Rehoboam listened to the foolish counsel of his friends, he says he sent Adoram, one of his generals, to go and lead the people in the northern kingdom. What happens? They assassinated him, and then they came after Rehoboam. So what was meant to be his coronation actually almost became an assassination because he refused to listen. And then it says here in verses 19 and 20, and because of that, the kingdom was split. And so now Jeroboam is king over the 10 northern tribes, and Rehoboam is king over the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So here's a question asked of Rehoboam that God is asking you and I today is, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Because it shows here that Rehoboam could have listened to the wise counsel that was given to him, but instead he chose to listen to his foolish friends. And because of that, his coronation almost became an assassination and the kingdom is now divided. Who are you listening to? And in this world, you'll find this, that there are a lot of voices, both people you know and media and social media, there's a lot of voices vying for your attention. And it's in that world that we have to listen for the still small voice of God. It's in that world that we have to be students of scripture to know what God says about our lives, our particular situation, and what God is calling us to do. And it's a challenge in this very, very noisy world. Amen? Um, my daughter, um, both our girls played volleyball um, in high school. One played in college. And I remember on a particular occasion, uh, I asked my daughter after the game what had happened. We were at Alvin High School. My daughter went to Shadow Creek High School. Alvin and Shadow Creek High School were, ri were rivals uh, because their coaches were friends and they were kind of had this rivalry going. So we played an away game at Alvin High School. The famous alumni for Alvin High School is Nolan Ryan. Um, some of you don't even know who Nolan Ryan is. Uh, Google that. Um, so we're at Alvin High School, and Alvin is crazy about two sports, baseball, because of Nolan Ryan, and girls volleyball. And I remember we were at Alvin High School in this giant gymnasium. It looked like a college gym. The stands were packed, and my daughter would play right side. And so on this occasion, she was on the home side of the court. So she was there, and all the crowd from the Alvin High School people were there, and they're heckling her, they're yelling at her, they're screaming at her, they're saying stuff. They're probably looking her up on social media, trying to find stuff about her, and they're heckling her and yelling at her, they're making fun of her and clowning her. When she's uh, going up for the block, she's saying, they're saying stuff for her. But this is what she's doing. Through all the noise, through all the crowd and all the people heckling, she's not listening for mom and dad, she's not listening for anybody else, she's listening for the voice of the setter. The setter is either gonna give her a signal or a sign or something audible to say, this is the play we're running. And I love this moment. I have it on camera. I, I, I should have put it on video here to show you all. So I remember like it was a crucial part of the game. The setter backsets it and she tells Grace, I'm a backset to you. Grace goes up and has the most massive, amazing kill. She stuffs the ball down their throat and the whole visiting side gets up and we're cheering. And the home side all is quiet, dead quiet, because she's just stuffed the ball down their throats. And I'm like yelling and screaming as a proud parent. Afterwards, I said to her, I'm like, hey, Grace, tell me what happened. Like you were on the, 
the home side and all those people, I mean, they're really like this close to you. They're yelling at you. They're screaming at you. They're making fun of you. They're talking about you and your appearance and other stuff. What did you do? And she said, I just tune them out and I'm just listening for the voice of the setter. I'm just watching the setter saying, what does the setter want me to do? And you all, that's what we need to do as well. In our world, our world is a very noisy world. You're going to have friends, family, coworkers, and others always chirping in your ear, but you must listen for the voice of God. And what I'm not saying is this, God can speak through people. So I would say, encourage y'all, listen to wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. So who are you listening to? And it's obvious here that Rehoboam chose not to listen to wise counsel. But God being a God of second chances, look at verse 21. Now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, the two tribes he's over now, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Verse 22, but the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Pause right there. The name Shemaiah sounds like what Hebrew word? Shema, you're right. Shemaiah means God heard. So throughout we're saying, listen, listen, listen. Now God sends a word for Rehoboam to listen to through this prophet whose name means God listens or God heard. The man of God saying, verse 23, tell Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah and all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people saying, this is what the Lord says. You shall not go up nor fight against your relatives. The sons of Israel return every man to his house for this thing has come from me. This is what God is saying. Rehoboam, I know your ego is bruised. Your pride is wounded. You were over all 12 tribes, over the entire kingdom of Israel, and now it's been split. The 10 northern tribes are in, uh, uh, ruled over by Jeroboam, who's like one of your rivals. I know your ego is bruised, and I know you've amassed this army of 180,000 warriors to try to now go take over the 10 northern kingdoms by force. But he says, don't do it. Why? For this thing has come from me. If you choose to disobey, if you go up and fight, You'll be fighting against me and my will. It's almost like, I think it's Acts 539 when Gamaliel, the Jewish scholar, when they're approached by these people saying, hey, the, the Christians have now risen up and now they're evangelizing and they're just growing and growing and growing. What should we do? And Gamaliel says this, very wise counsel, even though he's not a believer. He says, if what this thing called the church, these Christians are, are from God, he says, if we fight against them, we're going to be fighting against God. But if the thing called the church is not from God, it's going to fall apart. Just ignore it. Leave it alone. It's going to fall apart. He says, but if it's from God, if we fight against the church, we'll be fighting against God. Paul says as well, the apostle Paul at his conversion in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 26, he says, there I was persecuting Christians. Jesus Christ came to me and says, why are you kicking against the goads? And you're like, what's a goad? I had to look that up. A goat is basically a cattle prod. It was a thing that the, herd, the herders would do, the sheep herders and cattle, to herd the cattle. He says, you may kick at that thing, but you're still gonna do what it says because God is directing you and moving you. You're gonna be fighting against that. And so that's what Shemaiah says to Rehoboam. You go up with your mighty army and all your weapons because your ego is bruised. He says, you do that, not only are you gonna be fighting against the northern kingdom, you're gonna be fighting against God. So look what happens. End of verse 24. So they listened, Shema, they listened to the word of the Lord and returned to go their way in accordance with the word of the Lord. God gave Rehoboam a second chance. 
Second warning. You may have messed up the first time, but I'm going to give you a second chance. And what does Rehoboam do? He listens. He doesn't just hear. He listens because it leads to obedience. Um, last week, strange story. I don't know how it made the news, but it made the news. A couple bought a house in central Washington, Washington State. They began to remodel this house they had just purchased. Like many of us, have probably remodeled our houses. A few days into the remodeling process, a few days of living at this house, all of a sudden they smelled the scent of animal waste flowing through their house. And so they're like, why does our house smell like animal waste? And so they began to try to find the source of this smell of animal waste that was wafting through their house, their new house that they were remodeling. They found this. They began to ask this question. Uh, where's the family cat Milo? And then it dawned on them that Milo had snuck into the air conditioning duct. He had crawled into the air conditioning duct. So they recognized that because whenever the air conditioning would come on, the scent of animal waste would come on. So I don't know about you all, but what do you do when you find yourself in that situation? When your family cat has crawled up into the air conditioning duct, you call animal rescue? Probably not. You know, do you call the air conditioning folks, right? The AC tech, the HVAC people and say, hey, uh, and they're like, what happened? Is your AC out? No, our cat is in the duct. They wouldn't handle it either. So this is what they end up doing. They call a plumber. And the plumber has that snake with the little camera on it. And so they had the plumber take off the vent cover and they would put that snake through with the camera to see where the cat was. Finally, they found Milo the cat hiding in one corner of the AC duct. They cornered him, were able to take off the great thing and pull him out. Closed everything up. This is why this made news. A few days later, where's Milo the cat? And this is after this. I'm sure the owners of that, that uh, cat, Milo the cat, probably said to Milo, now Milo? <laughs> and here's the good news too. Uh, when finally they had to pay the plumbers for the first rescue, the plumbers, you know, they said, how much do we owe you? The plumber said, no charge, no charge. We, we don't have nothing on our like inventory. Like how do we charge someone for rescuing a cat <laughs> out of an air conditioning duct? Now Milo, don't ever go back in the air conditioning duct again. Never, ever again. Because your mess made our whole house smell. And Milo, if you go back in the air conditioning duct, there's no food in that duct. There's no water in that duct. Eventually, you're going to die, Milo, so you don't ever go back in there. I know on cold days, it's warmer in there, and on hot days, it's cooler in there. It's more comfortable, but Milo, you don't go back in there because you go back in there, you mess everything in our house up. It affects other people, but also, no food, no water. You're going to die. A few days later, where's Milo the cat? They had discovered that Milo had learned how to push the air conditioning grate off and he crawled right back in the air conditioning duct. So they called the plumbers again to come rescue Milo the cat. And we all chuckle and laugh at that. But if we're honest with ourselves, let's be honest, y'all, we do the exact same thing. God gets us out of a situation that we may find comfort in, that we may find kind of some stability or security in, even though we know ultimately it's going to hurt and harm us. 
And God rescues us out of that situation, rescues us out of that relationship. And we say, we hear the word of God saying, don't ever go back in there. Don't do that again. But what do we do? (laughs) Meow. We're back in there again. (laughs) Listen to this. Married men. It's for the married men. Last week, last week, you may have been flirting at the airport with that attractive woman at the gate or that cute server, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you sat next to that person in the airplane and the Holy Spirit kept just nudging you and nudging you just to say hi, to see if the conversation would lead to talking about Jesus, but you stayed silent. God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you may have blown your top and disciplined your kids in anger, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you may have gone to that inappropriate website, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you may have slandered and criticized that person behind their back instead of lovingly confronting them to their face, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you had the opportunity to love your neighbor, but you walked away. But God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you may have lied or told the half-truth to your boss, your parents, your kids, or your spouse, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, God may have told you, don't buy that, don't go there, but you bought that and you went there, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you felt the Holy Spirit nudging you to invite some of the other parents from your son's baseball team over for dinner, but you haven't because you said you were too busy, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. Last week, you felt the Holy Spirit nudging you to invite that recently divorced coworker of yours to lunch to see how they're doing, but you made all kinds of excuses, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct. And last week, God told you, Don't go out with that person, but it's been so long since you've been on a date, and so you did, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back into that air conditioning duct, and last week, you heard the gospel, and you knew you needed to place your faith in Jesus Christ, but you didn't, but God has given you a second chance to not crawl back in that air conditioning duct, and here's the good news, y'all. When we choose not to crawl back into the air conditioning duct and rather choose to crawl back to Jesus Jesus is there to welcome us with open arms, to embrace us. He's there. So if you have a choice of crawling back in the air conditioning duct, and that temptation is going to be there this week, crawl back to Jesus. So a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are like Milo the cat. God rescues us and delivers us from something. And what do we do? We're right back in that duct again. It's getting super quiet in here, but I'll go on. All right. In verses 25 through 33, I'm just going to summarize. So Rehoboam says, all right, I'll be the king of the southern kingdom of Benjamin and Judah. Uh, Jeroboam, I'm sorry, Rehoboam is south. Jeroboam is north. I'll rule the, Jeroboam rules the north. What does he do? Jeroboam does not listen to the Lord. He rebels. He creates idolatry and the worship of false gods and idols in the northern kingdom. And we all know the story. Eventually, they're placed in exile. So here's point number three. Listen to the Lord, even if others aren't listening to the Lord. Listen to the Lord, even if others are not listening to the Lord. Whether it's in your work world or at home, in your family, 
If God is speaking to you through his word, Shema, listen, listen, even if others aren't listening, even if others in your community group, even if others at Bayou CD Fellowship aren't listening, when it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to sexual purity, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to giving or serving, listen to the Lord even if others aren't listening to the Lord. And that's what happens here. Rehoboam says, okay, God, you said it. This is part of your plan. I'm listening. And that listening isn't just merely hearing. True listening equals obedience. True listening equals obedience. Because Jeroboam knows better. He knows the pitfalls of idolatry. He knows the dangers and the prohibition of idolatry, yet he does not listen. And so even if others aren't listening... You listen because true listening is obeying and not obeying legalistically, checking off the box saying, I did this, I did this, but because you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, because you pursue Jesus Christ, because you love Jesus Christ and he's your king, he's your lover, your Lord, you say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I hear you and I'm going to do what you told me to do. You all, we're in um, hurricane season. And you all know this, we get warnings from either the National Weather Service or others that say, hey, this hurricane is going to hit on this particular day and this particular time. And so they tell us to go and be prepared. They warn us. They say, hey, go buy a generator, go buy some bottled water, go buy some food. And so you see Home Depot and you see HEB and Kroger's, like people are going in there buying food and getting water, getting generators, boarding up their windows, preparing for the hurricane. But you all know this, and I hope it's nobody in here. Inevitably, there's somebody who says, eh, okay. They don't buy the water. They don't board up their windows. They don't get food. They don't get canned goods. They don't get portable stoves and other things. They're not prepared. And why do I know that? Because then they come to your door and my door knocking saying, hey, do you have any extra water? Hey, do you think I could plug into your generator so I can charge my phone, Right? Because they may not listen, but what God is saying to us from the Bible is when God speaks you through the word, listen. And true listening equals obedience. Um, many of y'all know this speaker, writer, author. He's a former pastor. Uh, John Maxwell. I've had the great privilege of hearing him live a couple times and uh, his books have influenced me. Being a believer, being a pastor, a former pastor, like many of you all who read the Bible, he knows about this principle called stewardship, management. God has entrusted to us things that he wants us to manage. They don't belong to us. Our money, our resources, our gifts, our talents, our network, our homes, our cars, our time. But one thing that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot is our bodies. At the very end of 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says that our bodies belong to the Lord. Amen? And because our bodies belong to the Lord, as an act of stewardship, even an act of worship, God wants us to take care of our bodies. So John Maxwell had heard this for years. He knew the Bible. He knew the scripture. 
But traveling as he was, busy as he was, he was like, I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to eat right and eat well. So on September 16th of 1998, he released probably his most well-known book that kind of put him on the map, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Anyone read that book before by John Maxwell? September 16th, 1998, releases that book, quickly climbs the New York Times bestseller list, puts his name on the map. Corporations and churches and nonprofits and schools and everybody's buying his book. He's traveling more and more, training and speaking. Still not working out. Still not eating right. Still not getting enough rest. Still not uh, uh, taking time to sleep and Sabbath. So three months later, December 18th of 1998, can you imagine it? Your, your, your book is like a New York Times bestseller. You're getting invites to speak and train from around the world. December 18th, 1998, the John Maxwell organization is having their annual Christmas party. And I'm sure they're rejoicing, saying, isn't it amazing what God is doing through this book that was released just three months ago? How God's using it to equip people, how doors are opening for us to now equip other people to be servant leaders. But John Maxwell tells a story about at the Christmas party, he began to feel a tightness in his chest. He began to feel a sharp pain in his chest. Towards the end of the party, people begin leaving, and a few people are straggling behind, and finally he tells one of them, he says, um, I'm not feeling well. I've got a pain in my chest. Do you think you can take me to the ER? So they rush him to the ER, where they realize, the doctors tell him, you're having a heart attack, a massive heart attack. They do emergency surgery, able to give him bypass and some other stuff. He recovers. The doctor tells him this. What we use to uh, operate on your heart, the technology was developed a year ago. If you had come in a year ago, you probably would have died. We didn't have the technology to operate on you to do the stuff we did. And this is what John Maxwell says. It was as if God was saying to him, this is a warning, this is a warning, this is your second chance. This is your second chance. You may have a best-selling book on the market, but you know what? If you do not steward and care for your body, you're not gonna last much longer. Because again, we're spiritual beings doing spiritual ministry through what? Physical bodies. I'm actually up here right now physically preaching the word of God to you, not icky spirit, because we do spiritual ministry through physical bodies. And I believe God's people Christians should be the healthiest people, mentally, physically, mostly, not because we worship our bodies, but because we worship God through our bodies. Amen? Amen. And so that was a warning to John Maxwell saying, God was saying to him, this is your second chance. And you all, God being a gracious and good God is given each and every one of us a second chance. Amen? On a regular basis. And so when you hear God, when you hear God, Speak through his word. When you hear God through a podcast, when you hear God through a sermon, true listening leads to obedience. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you are a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God, we know we don't get it right. We know we disobey. So God, we are grateful, eternally grateful that you are a God of second chances God, I pray that as we hear your word, as we hear your voice, God, I pray that we would truly listen. Shema. 
that would penetrate from our ears into our mind, into our hearts. God, I pray that your love would overflow our hearts. And because our hearts are so overwhelmed and consumed by your love, God, out of a heart of love, we would obey you because we love you. God, forgive us for all those times we've been like Milo the cat. God, we've kicked off the AC grater and crawled right back in over and over and over again to the place of comfort and convenience, to the place of how everyone else is doing it. God, would you deliver us and give us a second chance? God, I pray for those who have yet to put their faith in Christ today. If they've heard your voice and your spirit is moving in their lives, that today the day they place their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ alone, for a relationship, an eternal relationship with you. God, again, we're grateful for you being the God of second chances. Help us to listen to Shema. And when we truly listen, that we would obey. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up on my left and right. Uh, if you need prayer, if there's something that God is maybe working on your heart about, where you're like, God, I hear you. I hear you. Shema, I'm listening. And you need prayer. The prayer team is available. Also on the Bicey Fellowship app, uh, you can also submit a prayer request through that as well. Last week, we had quite a few prayer requests that came in. It was truly a joy and delight for us to be able to join you in prayer. But again, this is your time to respond to what God is doing in your heart.